do a baby dedication right now. And uh, while they're all coming up here, uh, the moms, the dads, and their children, let me just say just a few things. This is what baby dedication means to us. This is why we do it. Because at this church, we believe that we are owners of nothing. We're just tenants. We're tenants of our bodies. We're tenants of our possessions. We're tenants of everything that God has entrusted to us. And as parents, that really starts with our children. And uh, what we do here right now is it's just a picture of what hopefully these parents are going to do and what you as parents are going to do, that we're constantly offering them up to Jesus. And uh, I'll stop right now because you guys have all the attention right now. They're not even listening to me. (laughs) You think I'm stupid, but I'm really not. I mean, if you're back there picking your nose, I see it, okay? (laughs) All right. Start with you guys, Josh and Nikki. Come on up. How are you guys doing today? This is a joy for me. And I know your parents have to be here today. Are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and back. Yep, yep. Good, good, good. I love it. You're in a gym, so you guys can just raise your hands or whatever. Okay, good. Um, Today we're going to uh, offer up to the Lord Hazel Ruth. And uh, you've actually chosen a verse from Ruth. Do you remember what it is? And if you do, would you like to share it with us? And if you want to say anything about that, that would be great. Uh, I don't remember anything. <laughs> I love it. I get stage fright all the time. It just it speaks about just, um, just the way that God gave us Hazel and how that all came about. Um, and, just, and, and the verse talks about just um, that you'll be my God and I'm following you wherever you go and you know, wherever you make your home, you make your home. Amen. It's been uh, a journey of trusting him, so. Yeah. Amen. Let me take Hazel. Hi, beautiful girl. I promise I won't drop you. (laughs) That verse really is awesome. That your God will be my God. Let's pray for her. God, we just pray for Hazel, and we pray for Josh and Nikki as they raise this beautiful, beautiful daughter. And we pray, God, in your time, in your way, that their God that they love so much would become her God and that she, with all her heart, would go your way and live for you. And give them the strength, Lord, in all that they need, the wisdom, the grace, the time on their knees, just praying for this child. We pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go, you guys. It's crazy how, the older you get, you really, when my kids were that age, I was throwing them around like a football. (laughs) And now it's like, whoa. Okay, this is uh, Dirk and Shaylin Bass. And 
you guys are dedicating your first child today. This is Landon David, and you guys have chose, chosen Romans 5. And uh, why don't you just read that, and if you want to share anything, you can. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, I'll hold it. <laughs> through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we, were, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And we went into the rest of it as well, but that's the main, the main part of our journey was just the perseverance that we found in God through um, the miscarriages that we had and the journey that we had to get to Landon. And um, it was a long road, but we learned so much about um, each other and about our desire to be parents. And um, with Landon, we truly had to dedicate him to God the minute we found out that we were having him and that he was a boy. And so we're just so thankful that we're here today and that um, we can enjoy him and love him. And we have lots of promises for him. So I'm excited about today. Isn't this exciting to see that these are the kind of parents that we have in our church? Just going for it with the Lord. Let me take uh, Landon here. Landon, I love your first name, but I like your middle name even better. David. Havid. Let's pray for this little guy. And God, we just thank you so much for Dirk and Shaylin. We thank you, Lord, how Romans 5 has come to be their life. That they have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that that peace and shalom would be transferred into this little guy's heart. And God, that someday maybe he could become a David, a man after your own heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> he has my microphone. <laughs> I'm actually just going to put this thing behind me right now. We'll just use this. All right. This is Ryan and Becky Hanko. Oh, we got the whole family here. Wow. So who's the oldest? That would be you, right? And how old are you? Four. So uh, we can just do the math right now. No, you guys have been busy. <laughs> <laughs> you guys okay? Yeah. Do you guys know Randy and Marsha Heckman or not? I don't know. Maybe we just turn this off or not. Yeah. All right. Um, Aiden Matthew. And you guys have, uh, this one's Aiden, I take it. Yes. Hey, buddy. Yeah. Hi, dude. You're happy, aren't you? You guys have chosen Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me to come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Our greatest hope is that our children will grow up to walk in friendship with our Savior. That's awesome. Let me take this guy and pray for that. 
You guys can close your eyes. We're going to pray now, okay? <laughs> God, thank you for this life I'm holding. And Lord, you just created it so wonderfully and beautifully. And I just pray, Lord, the desire of the, these parents, Lord, that this child would come to seek you with all his heart and that he would find you and that he would know you and that he would love you and he'd go your way. And God, that he could be a champion for you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Where are you, Lib? What do you think? Should we do this again? All right, uh, Robert and Courtney Rose. And this is uh, Sophia Marie. Love that name. Um, you guys have chosen Mark 10, verse 14. Do you have it memorized? Yeah. Yes. Okay, here we go. Well, I mean, the gist of it is just talking about how the kingdom of God is um, basically for children and to not hinder them. And I think, um, like in talking with Brad this past week, just knowing that, like, watching her grow has shown me Christ's love all over again, I think. Um, because it doesn't matter how frustrated I get with her or how tired I am, she continues to love me no matter what, just like Christ. Isn't that the truth, you guys? I mean, that's just it. Um, Sophia, your name means wisdom. Let's pray for her. And God, I just want to first just start off by praying for Robert and Courtney. And God, I just, I love to hear the hearts of these parents, Lord, to just burn with this desire that their children know you. And God, I just pray that uh, Sophia would come to know you and walk with you. And God, even as she's in my arms right now, I can tell she's a strong girl. And Lord, I just pray godly strength in her, Lord that she would be um, a strong tower, Lord, in this world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Last but not least, we have uh, Kent and Jennifer Stevens. Now, uh, this is Caleb Edward. He looks pretty young. Uh, what, four and a half months? Yep. Four and a half months. Now, you guys have chosen uh, Philippians 4, uh, three verses there. And uh, she wrote it down. Would you like to read it, Kent? <laughs> sure. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, <laughs> present your requests to God in the place of God, which transcend all understanding will guard your your hearts and your minds in christ jesus amen let's just present some petitions right now on behalf of uh caleb edward my little guy <laughs> you both have brown eyes so i was like okay he's got real brown eyes well he doesn't really have yeah let's pray for this guy lord i just thank you so much for kent and jennifer that they're a part of this community and i thank you for all that you have done in their lives and God, now we just petition you 
and we just ask, God, we join with them in praying for Caleb Edward. And we just ask, God, I just love what it says about Caleb in the Old Testament, that he was wholehearted. And I pray, God, in your way, in your time, you would make this Caleb wholehearted for you. And like Caleb in the Bible, God, that he would be a mighty warrior for the king. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I just got to, are we going to have issues this morning? In my pocket, right, or not? Should I maybe, oh, it's the handheld. Good. Well, we're done with the handheld. All right. Um, By the way, let's thank these guys back here every single week. There they are. All right, are we ready to dive into God's word? Let's do it. Isaiah 61, kind of just taking our time this summer looking at this great text. What's this text about, just by way of review? Does anybody remember? Jubilee. Jubilee. What's Jubilee? Yep, it's, it's celebration. It's, it's celebration because in the Old Testament, every 50 years, it meant all slaves were set free. It meant all the fields were to lie follow. No harvesting, no planting, or anything like that. More importantly, every family, every clan got to return to the land that was originally theirs. That's why Isaiah 61 says, this is good news. It's gospel to the poor. Okay? Um, Now, last time we saw the picture that's in verse 3 and 11. When you put those two verses together, you have this image of this strong tree, this tree of righteousness that's planted in God's garden. And really, from the very beginning, this is what God has been doing. He plants gardens, and within the garden, he plants a tree. This is how God brings shalom to chaos, because the tree represents God's presence. It's the power source. It's the life source. And the garden is God's people in God's place, under God's rule, connected to the tree, bringing God's rule and God's presence to the world. Now, God Eden, as we know, failed. The world fell back into chaos. So the biblical story then is about God kind of clearing another piece of real estate, planting another tree, And he says to this tree, I want you to be connected to me. I want you to be rooted in me so that you can be shade to the nations. Israel, like Adam and Eve, also failed to be God's garden. Christ shows up, though, and says, my father is once again planting a garden, and I am the true vine. I am the true tree. And so if we want the life of God, the power of God, the healing of God in our lives, we place our life in him. All right, let's read our text for today. Isaiah 61. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read a lot of it, but I'm going to, we're going to primarily look at verse 6 and verse 10. 
The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. To release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called trees of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. Basically, you will be freed up so that you will be priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. And you will feed on the wealth of nations and their riches you will boast. And then verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is God's word. All right, you guys, yeah, go ahead, sit down. Okay, verse 6. We have another concept. I think it's one that's quite foreign to us, or it feels strange to us, maybe even a bit scary to us, because it's that of a priest. What's a priest? Well, in the ancient world, priests were part of everyday life. They weren't strange. They weren't scary, because everyone regularly went to temples. Priests served in temples. And in that day, the temple was the centerpiece of life because in that day, everyone believed in God. There were no agnostics or atheists, and every god had its temple. The reason is because of their worldview. They looked at the world very differently than we do. They believed the world consisted of two dimensions, the dimension of heaven and the dimension of earth. Heaven was where God lived. Earth is where we live. The temple in that day was the place where heaven and earth met. It's where God's space intersected with our living space. This was the place where I can go and meet with the living God. Now for God's people... Temple was Bethel, house of God. It was the place on earth where God literally, not just figuratively, but literally pitched his tent. That's why the Jews called the temple simply the house. In fact, to this day, it's still called Har Habite. You can get in a taxi and say, hey, Take me to Har Ha Bite, and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. They'll take you right to Temple Mount. Har Ha Bite simply means the house on the hill. That's God's house. God lives there. That's God's living space. So, 
Har Ha'abite, literally for them, was the place where they encountered God personally. Where they experienced his raw, awesome presence. Even more than this, the house, in their minds, was heaven. When they went up to the house, they, in their minds, were going back into the garden of the Lord. It was gone Eden all over again. It was getting back to the tree of life. That's why in the second temple, on the, 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 the entry to the sanctuary, Josephus, the historian, tells us that there was this massive vineyard or vine in gold. And it was so big, so massive, that the grapes themselves were the size of a man. See, that's the picture. This is where we get back in, where we get back into the garden, back to the tree of life, the true vine, back into God's presence. This is where we step out of the chaos of this world and we step into the shalom of the garden. This is why it's called even to this day making aliyah. Aliyah simply means to go up. You always go up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Temple Mount because in their minds, they are going up to heaven. They're going back into the garden of the Lord. The question, though, becomes this. And I think David in the Psalms articulates it clearly. In Psalm 15 and Psalm 24. Who can ascend? Who can make Aliyah to the holy hill? And David says it. Only he who has clean hands and a clean heart. Because I think what the ancients, the reason they wrestled with this so much, is they understood something about God that we have forgotten. God is holy. And because God is holy and we are not holy, we are completely unfit for God. In fact, in light of God's holiness, his purity, his righteousness, we are morally and spiritually repulsive. Do you know that? See, this is why, in their minds, we need a priest. A priest is simply one who opens the way to God. A priest is someone who gets us back in. He gets us all the way back into the garden of the Lord, into God's presence. And a priest makes us fit for a holy God. He washes us. He cleanses our stains by offering sacrifices. And he comes before God as our representative. He's this man who's wholeheartedly devoted to God. And he mediates this relationship between us and God. He stands before God as our advocate. Now, I've used this before. I mean, I think maybe the best analogy is that we have today is just the whole idea of court. Where you have to go in and, and stand before a judge. And 
Come on, let's just raise hands this morning. Who has had to do that? My hand is up. (laughs) Okay, good. There's just a couple of us, okay? Uh, Mine were for tickets and expired plates. And when you do that in the state of Indiana where you pay a high tax for your plate because it's determined by the car you drive, they don't look too favorably upon that. And I got caught. This was when I was a youth pastor. (laughs) It's scary. I went in that thing kind of just no big deal, no big deal, no big deal. But then I sat down, I waited, I waited, I waited. That whole time of waiting, I got intensely scared. By the time I went before the judge, I could hardly speak. Now this is just for the little things. But the big things, you would never step into a courtroom without having a representative. Without having someone there who's going to stand as your advocate. Now listen, whether you've been to court or not, every single one of us is on trial all the time. We live our life in a courtroom. I mean, just... Think about every day, all the human courts that continually kind of cast their verdicts, pronounce their judgments about who you are, they make their opinions about you, they critique you, whether it be family, whether it be friends, whether it be your place of work, whether it be your peers, whether it just be the court of public opinion, I mean... And then as a result of this, there's this constant need that i got to prove myself. i got to prove that I'm good. i got to prove that I'm okay. I'm okay. Don't you feel that sometimes? Whether it be to your parents or even your friends or... I'm okay. But see, even more than human courts... I think our hearts know deep within that we stand before a holy God. And can you say today before a holy God, I'm okay. And if you can, on what basis? Because in the ancient world, you would never think about entering God's courts without a priest, an advocate, someone who would make you okay and offer the sacrifices and declare you to be okay. And I think we've lost that. I think that in many ways we have forgotten the imagery that God takes hold of, this imagery of priests and temples. He does this to teach us that he is first and foremost holy. And that you and I can't just trample into his courts and flippantly just come into his presence. We need a priest. We need someone who can get us in. Someone who has access to God. And who will stand as our advocate, who will make us presentable to him. Now, there's still another piece to this whole idea of being a priest. 
priest not only stands before God as the people's representative, but it also works the other way. He also represents God to the people. Because in their minds, no one can see God or In the case of Egypt and the priests there, no one got to see the Pharaoh, but you could see the priest. And in seeing the priest, it was as if you were seeing the God or the Pharaoh. Because the priest was the truest representation in their minds of what God was like. He was God's hands and his feet and his mouth, his heart, his face. So when you encountered that priest... It was as if you were encountering God himself. His role as a priest was to put the God on display for the world to see what that God was like. Now listen to our text today. You will be called priests of the Lord. Who's called this? The pastors? This special tribe of Levi? No, it's everyone. All of you will be called priests of the Lord. They are to be a nation of priests. See, this was God's calling right from the very beginning. Turn right now in your Bibles to Exodus 19. This is found on page 53 if you have a Bible like mine. This is right after God takes them out of Egypt. Takes them to Mount Sinai. And I think these are some of the most amazing words in the Bible that God declares about his people. And who his people are and what his people are to be in the world. This is what he says in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagle's wings. (laughs) You didn't walk out of Egypt. You didn't get yourself out of Egypt. I swooped down like an eagle and I carried you out of Egypt. And he says, and how I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the very words of God. I love this. He carries them out of Egypt, he takes them out of chaos. And then it says, he, I took you to myself. That word took is, is it's, it's wedding language. I took you to be my bride. And that's why in verse 5, he says, if, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, or let me put this in the context, if you keep your wedding vows to me, then I'm going to keep my wedding vow to you. You will be my segula. Now, I think 
the NIV gets this right when it calls, translates this treasured possession. Segula is what a bride and a groom would give to each other at their wedding. It was their most prized possession. And they would take it and they would say, here, I give this to you to say, you now are my most prized possession. But even more than this, Segula is really only what God could give to them. Israel could not give this to God because Segula is only really what the kings could do or the great people could do. People who owned a lot and had a lot. God says it here, though the whole earth is mine, you will be my segula. Now in the New Testament, segula is this pearl of great price. It's this thing that when you see it, you'll sell everything. You'll do whatever it takes. You'll risk your life even if you have to, to get it. It's the precious. And that's what God says to his people. This is what you are to me. You are my segula. I will give up everything to get you. In fact, this is why God in another place tells them to wear tassels. Right here. And he says, I want you to wear these things. I don't care if it's raining, snowing, sleeting. I don't care if you're working out in the farm. I don't care where you are. I want you to wear tassels. Because in that world, only royalty were allowed to wear tassels. Just like in Rome, only royalty could wear purple. He's like, I want all of you to wear tassels. And not only that, but I want you to make one of these strands blue. Why? Blue is the priestly color. I want you to wear these things so you don't forget who you are. You are kings and queens. And you are a nation of priests. And, and, and see, when they heard that, they, they, they knew what that meant because they understood what a priest was. They, they knew that they now were to put God on display for the world to see that, that God in essence was saying to them that I'm going to show myself to the world through you. You're going to be my face. You're going to be my heart. You're going to be my mouth. You're going to be my hands. You're going to be my feet. And they knew this. And see, this is why God puts them in one of the most traveled places in the world. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but Israel was the main street of the world. It was this land bridge that connected all the great empires and all the surrounding nations. For them to travel one to another, they all had to pass through this tiny piece of land. And that's because Israel is to be not just this land bridge, but they're to be this spiritual bridge for all peoples to God. And this is why God says them, 
hear my segulah, but as my segulah, I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to be distinct. I want you to be like me. I want you to be my hands, my feet, my heart, my mouth to the nations. I mean, this is an awesome calling. And here's what Israel did with this calling to be a nation of priests. They essentially failed because they succumbed to two great temptations in this calling. The first was that of isolation. They didn't want to live on Main Street, so they ran to the hills. They hid from the world. And when they weren't hiding from the world, when they weren't circling the wagons and keeping the bad world out, they were accommodating to the world. They became just like the world around them. Does any of this sound familiar? Our calling has never been to be relevant. Our calling is to be holy as he is holy. To be utterly distinct and then to move this distinctiveness into the world and place it on Main Street. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not our relevancy that the world needs. It's our distinctiveness. It's our God-likeness. It's being a city set on a hill. It's being a light in the darkness. This is what our world needs from the church. And if you want to pray for revival, don't pray for revival in Grand Rapids. Pray that God would revive his church all over the globe to become holy as he is holy. See, we can never forget these two things, that one, we're set apart, and two, we're set apart to save. See, in being his segula, we've been blessed to bless. We've been healed to heal. We've been adopted to adopt. We've been reconciled to reconcile. We've been called priests to priest. And when we forget that, it's game over for the church. Now, what's really cool is you're like, well, that was, that was for them. Well, now I'll take you a text, or I'll show you it's for us. Where am I going? Anybody know? Anybody know where Exodus 19, 4 through 6 is in the New Testament? Yep, First Peter. Chapter what? 2. Thank you. We know our Bibles. I love it. Go there. This is found on page 857. And I'm going to just start reading at verse 4. As you come to him, Christ, the living stone, rejected by men and chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like 
living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. (laughs) I get giddy when I read this. Because when I start dreaming about this verse and what it means for us, us, I mean, Peter is saying here that we are the living stones that comprise God's house. That right now, we are the place where heaven and earth meet, where God's space and our space intersect and become one. We right now are the very presence of God in the world. kidding? Like, you're going to tell me that a baseball game, a Tiger game, even a Michigan football game is more exciting than that? Don't be stone-like right now. You guys all look like stones. You're living stones. I love the you in this. It's not you singular, it's you all. Meaning this, we are not God's house as individuals. We are God's house as a community. In fact, I'll even take this further. You can't know all there is to know about God. You can't know him fully and intimately as an individual. By yourself. And see, so many of us today have bought into this monastic idea that we, we find God in some solitary, alone place. And trust me, I have that in my life. And, and I find God in that place. And we need to find God in that place. But God, the Bible teaches, dwells in his temple. And his temple is not singular. His temple is you all. We, us. And see, God's vision for his church was never just a bunch of individuals who have this me and God, God and me thing going on. It's us being built together. Jesus says, even if there are just two or three of you built into each other, there I am with you. And then when you take this thing down to uh, verse 9 and 10, this thing even gets more exciting, even though the verses I just skipped over, only because for lack of time, are just as exciting. But you can read those today. But verse 9 says, you are a chosen people. We are a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're a people, a chosen people, a people who've been called out of darkness. We've been called out of chaos, out of Egypt, into his light. And everything that God called his people to be at Mount Sinai, we're called to be that. 
Verse 5, a holy priesthood. Verse 9, a royal priesthood. We are priests. All of us. And it saddens me to think that today we think only a few are priests. The people who stand up here, the people who are behind microphones. and <laughs> I priest so you can know your priests. So you can priest in the world. We're all priests. Which means some pretty awesome things that we exist in this world to bring glory glory to God that God as Paul says he's he's making his appeal through us that God wants to show the world what he is like through us That we are called to put God on display for the world to see the greatness of God. We right now are his body. We are God incarnated in the world right now. That we're the very presence of God in our world right now. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're his heart. We're his face. We're his mouth. Do you know that? Do you live that way? Are you conscious of that every moment of every day, wherever you go? Everything you do, everything you look at, everything you say, it matters. We have to put for His glory. For his glory. For his glory. And of course there's there's that other part to this whole thing. Well let me just start actually with this. Look at verse 11 and verse 12 of of, of 2 Peter. Of 1 Peter 2. Dear friends. I plead with you as aliens and strangers in the world, that's your status, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Meaning, we are to abstain from the world. We're not like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't live like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't value the world. We don't love the things of this world because we are to be holy. Set apart. And I'm telling you right now, the more we're set apart, the more we're free from the world. But look at verse 12. Not only are we set apart, but it then says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your goodness and glorify God on the day he visits us. Among them. Not in isolation, not hiding from them. God wants us still on the most 
traveled places. He wants us among them. He wants us on Main Street. I mean, Jesus says the same thing. You're a light to the world. You're a city set on a hill. So that when they see you, they'll praise your heavenly Father above. Okay, so as priests, not only do we live among the pagans, giving glory to God, being his hands and feet, putting God on display, but as priests, we also act as an advocate. And we stand in the gap. And we plead on behalf of whom? Well, do you remember Abraham in Genesis 18 when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham just goes in plead mode. He pleads with God. He priests. He stands in the gap. On behalf of whom? Is it, oh, I just want you to save Lot. I want you to save Lot and his family. No, he's pleading with God on behalf of wicked Sodom. Please, God, spare Sodom, please. This is what Jonah should have been doing when he kind of perched himself outside of Nineveh and he thought, I'll just create this comfortable shade for myself and I'll watch God rain down fireworks on heaven, from heaven on this, on this city, destroy it. He should have been on his face pleading with God, okay, God, your message has been preached and the people have repented. Would you please show them mercy? Please? My wife added this thought. She said, I wonder if Noah had actually gone into priest mode and just prayed, God, please don't do this. Spare them. What about you? Who are you acting right now as a priest? For whom are you standing in the gap? Are you doing it for a friend? Are you doing it for a family member? Maybe your spouse? What about your neighbor? Or what about pagan places like Sodom and Gomorrah and Nineveh? You know, Jesus really pushed this thing far when he said, What about your enemies? What about those who curse you? Jesus said, pray for them. Priest for them. Bless them. See, that's what what priests did. They, They blessed the people. Bless them, your enemies. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine all over you and be gracious to you. I was talking to my brother-in-law this week, and uh, he's part of, uh, it's called ELI, it's uh, English, Language, English Language Institute in China, where they send hundreds upon hundreds of teachers, not now just in China, but all throughout Asia, to use teaching English as a way to share the gospel. And he said through this, he, he got to meet this 85-year-old man 
named Brother Lawrence. And, and there's been stuff written about this guy. He's 85 years old. I didn't even know he's still alive. But Brother Lawrence, he met him. And in his time with Brother Lawrence, Brother Lawrence was telling him how he loves to go to Afghanistan and Pakistan on these covert operations where he can look for Osama bin Laden. And Joe's like, why? I just want to share Jesus with him. I believe if he could just know Christ. Are we going to be priests? Now, I'll just be honest here. Knowing I'm a priest, I can't help but ask, me? Really, God? I mean, how? I'm stained. I'm, I'm, I'm unclean. You know, and this brings me back to David's question. I, I love David's question when he says, who can ascend, who can make aliyah to the holy hill? I mean, who is it that really gets in? And then I was thinking about Zechariah 3 this week, where in Zechariah 3, Zechariah is given this powerful vision of Joshua, the high priest, who stands before the Lord. And, of course, that's a technical term, standing before the Lord, because only one day a year would the high priest stand before the Lord. It was the Day of Atonement. It was Yom Kippur. And this day, to this day, this is the most important day on the calendar for all Jewish people. But on this day in Bible times, the priest would enter the Holy of Holies, into God's living room. He'd stand before the Lord as the people's representative to priest for them. And the temple would be packed because the people were there to cheer on their representative. There's our guy. There's our representative. There's our advocate. And this is what they'd watch him do. First, the high priest in front of all of them would, would wash Then he'd put on a white garment. Then he would sacrifice a bull. Do this again. The first time it was for his sins. He'd do this all again, again. He'd wash. He'd put on a white robe. He'd sacrifice another bull. This time for the sins of the priest. He would do this again. He would wash. He would put on a white robe. He'd sacrifice a bull. Uh, This time for the people. And he would do this a total of five times. And then he would enter... God's living room, the holy of holies. And here he would stand before the Lord, as the text says, the angel of the Lord, who's the judge of the whole universe, Christ. And Zechariah also says in my vision, I also saw Satan there doing what Satan always loves to do. He's prosecuting, he's accusing, he's in Joshua's ear. But here's the shocker for Zechariah. Here stands the holiest man on the holiest day of the year. And do you know what he looked like to God? Verse 3. He was covered with filth. Translated, human excrement. How? Because... Here's what a holy God sees when the holiest man on the holiest day of the year stands before him. 
even the very best, standing before God, what God sees is a man as if he's covered with dung. And Isaiah 64 says, all of us have become one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags. Because left to ourselves, we could never get back into God. We could never get back to the garden of the Lord. We could never ascend his holy hill. But we have a great high priest. And Christ stands right now before God without stain, without blemish, and the all-beautiful one who is stunningly glorious, his face shining like the sun. Can you see him? He ascends the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. And he not only gets in, but he priests. He gets us in. And because of his sacrifice, his blood atoning sacrifice, his blood, it cleanses us. It washes us. And all our filthy rags are replaced with his brilliant white clothes, clothes of righteousness, because we have a priest. In fact, I love what Colossians 1, after just telling us about who Jesus is in essence, then says this is what Jesus does for us. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ, Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from all accusation. Why did he do this? First Peter 2 verse 9 says, We are a people belonging to God. In Greek, belonging to God most literally translates treasured. Treasured possession. In Hebrew, this would be segula. We are God's segula, his most prized possession. We're his precious. He did this because he loves you and he will stop at nothing to get you back into his heart and to get you back into him. And some of you today are sitting out there, and, and, and this is probably all of us. It is all of us. We have all soiled and stained our lives. And to some degree, we've all soiled and stained our relationship to God. Our hands are unclean. Our hearts are impure. But First Peter 2 verse 4 says, come to him. We just come to him. And we place our life completely on the rock. That rock is Christ. And see, when we come to him, we simply give him what we've got. We give him our stains. We give him our blemishes. We give him our filth. We give him our nakedness. And he gives us what he has. His beauty. His clothes. 
His perfect righteousness. And that's why Isaiah gives us this beautiful picture in verse 10 of Isaiah 61, verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And he has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's what God's done. Through Christ. And Isaiah 61 here, verse 10, is here to say that God will make us stunningly beautiful like on a wedding day, dressed in his righteousness. Do you personally today know this God? And you know that you can stand before the only court that matters? And there's no verdict of guilty. There's only a declaration of, you're okay, you're good, you're righteous. And see, when this burns in my heart, I'm free. I'm free from all verdicts. I'm I'm free from living my life on trial. And even more than that, when this burns in my heart, the penny drops in my heart. And he becomes my precious. And the more I go in, the more it compels me to go out. You, we, will be called priests of our God. This morning, if you would like to respond and wash and get your heart right, you want to come to him. We have these mikvah voles, which are just simply pictures of the blood of Jesus that washes our face and our heart and our hands and our feet. Let's pray. God, I just uh, in no way can do justice this awesome truth that you give us. That we are your segula. And I just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would now take your word and burn that in our hearts. Causing us to come to you and lay our life into you and lay our life on the altar as living sacrifices for you who can then go into this world, Lord, as righteous and holy, not because we're so good, but because you're so good, and put you on display for the world to see. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that feels dirty and stained, I pray, God, that your spirit would cause them to come to you. In Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.